Hello. Hello, I'm Georgia. And I'm John. And today we're going to talk about the mac and cheese and movies. Mmm. Comfort Films Podcast. Season 2. Hello and welcome to episode 62 of Comfort Films Podcast. Today we're going to be discussing Alien, the 1979 Ridley Scott horror, science fiction, thriller, classic that brought Sigourney Weaver's Ripley to the world. In space, no one can hear you scream. It's <laughs> a great tagline. Yeah. Like, I mean, that, that's that's scary right off the bat. Yeah, it is. Like, like, no one can hear you in space. So if you're up in space, anything goes wrong, you're yelling, no one hears you. It's a vacuum. Yeah, it's a, right? Oh, my God. You're like in a vacuum? Yeah. Not like a... Like a literal vacuum. No, no, no. Like no. space balls. No. <laughs> <laughs> She's gone from suck to blow. Not like a Dyson. No. Okay, okay. But like, you know, an absence of, of air. Okay. Okay. Well, I'm always happy to bring in space balls when I can. So, <laughs> you know, I've got that going for me. Oh, So this is our second week of our science fiction month. And it's funny because I feel like last week was a sci-fi comedy with Galaxy Quest. And now we're doing sci-fi horror slash thriller. And some people, I think, probably look at this more as like a horror movie than a science fiction movie. Sure, sure. I mean, all the elements are there. I mean, when you really break it apart, yeah, it's a horror film. But it's aliens. An it's alien aliens. Is, an alien is science fiction. It's, well, I mean, we can actually take a second to talk about the roots of this, right? Because this of was course, actually yes. rooted in a comedy. Yes, it was. So this was written by Dan O'Bannon. And he was a, a collaborator in college with John Carpenter. And they were making this movie together that was like a science fiction comedy called Dark Star. And it came out in what year? 1974. So, yeah. So they had written this and then it kind of got out of control. It started trying to be a student film. And then it grew and grew and they just made it into a feature. And I think Tan O'Bannon said <laughs> could be, you know, the best student film or the worst feature film <laughs> and we did watch that back in october when we did our john carpenter month and you know it has the seeds of a good movie and oh, yeah. you just they just didn't have a lot of money um but it's totally worth watching and especially if you're a fan of alien which you and i both are huge it's really cool to kind of see you know what did dan o'bannon do with the same idea in the absence of any type of funding, you know, in Dark Star. Because in Alien, obviously, they have a lot more money. Oh, still, yeah. Still not that much, I guess. They're still treating this like a lower-budget movie because it was, what, $8 million, $8.5 million? That sounds about right. Like, I think they started with four... 4.2, right? And then they yes. made it to 8.4. they doubled yeah. it. Yeah. Because of Ridley Scott's pretty amazing storyboards. Well, yeah, I mean... You have everyone in this as an artist. Yeah. And that's what I think makes this film so interesting, is it goes from artist to artist to artist. And you put all these people together, I mean, how could you not have something amazing? Yeah, I mean, and that's that's what the cool thing is about it. So we have, like, this big, um, what is it called, the Alien Anthology? Yeah. Like, uh, Blu-ray set. I bought it for you quite a while back, I think, mm -hmm. for a holiday or birthday or something. 
because we really like kind of all of these movies. I'll like, always go back. We'll do a run of them. We'll go the whole way through. Yeah, even the ones that aren't like the most popular or, you know, aren't or like, you know, kind of pooped on. <laughs> we still kind of enjoy watching because we like the xenomorphs. We love them. You know? Yeah. If you listen to our Clueless episode <laughs> where we did a completely ridiculous bit on Paul Rudd. Uh, when we got to the Paul X Ud name, we said that was Xenomorph Paul Rudd because <laughs> we just love Xenomorphs. It's like, hey, can we bring in a Xenomorph? Yeah, sounds good. Let's do it. Um, but yeah, so I don't know. We're 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 pretty into these, and the funny thing is, you know, I don't really think of the other films in the same way that I think of Alien. Because I think of Alien as a horror movie, and I think that when we get into Alien, you know, the second one, we turn into more of like an action film. And but was, with the same plot points. Yes. That's what's very interesting, and yeah, I noticed It's this just time. treated differently, but then you have James Cameron, who's like this kick-ass action director, mm-hmm. doing like a super action-y film. I mean, I know he's into like fantasy and sci-fi, look at Avatar, hello. Um, right. but you know, he's also this awesome action director, like Terminator. Right. So I feel that, you know, that's what he brings to the table in aliens. And yet when we go back to alien, there's not a lot of action. You know, there's a few scenes of, you know, things happening, especially at the end Yeah. when the alien goes out the airlock. But before that, we don't really have a ton of action. We have a lot of people like standing around and then we have like some scary stuff mm-hmm. the action comes from the scary thrill type scenes and it was cool because we were watching some of the many 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 hours <laughs> <laughs> of background info yeah. on this alien anthology set and john hurt like said the same thing he said like yeah the first movie is like a horror movie and then it turns into more of an action series well, it's, I mean, it's interesting to see how this tradition was started with Dark Star. And it's like we have John Carpenter, right? Iconic director. And then he and Dan O'Bannon, they have the original story in the screenplay. Together. Together, yes. yes. And then we come on to Alien. And O'Bannon is like, I want to do Alien as this, you know, serious, serious film. You know, so it's like, let's take Dark Star and make it scary. And the original title, I believe, of Alien was actually Space Beast. <laughs> if I'm not That's mistaken. That's not super serious to me. I like space. <laughs> space. <laughs> That's like Mystery Science Theater. Yes. Space Beast, you know? Yeah, Joel and the bots riff Space Beast. Yeah, that <laughs> sounds very MST3K-ish. Like, I don't find that serious at all. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's just me. No, I mean, I think it's, there's something about the word beast that's just become to be funny. Because, like, I think of, you know, Beast Man. Was that his name from He-Man? Do you remember this guy? He was red with red hair. He's either Beast or Beast Man. You're like, oh my God. I think of Beast Master. Beast Master's lit, though. Beast Master is its own separate entity. Yes. Is it campy? Is it wonderful? Yes. Rip Torn is a wizard, or kind of a wizard. I mean, you can't, you can't top we, that. I think we've talked about this before because I remember. <laughs> What's well, all we doing the Rip Torn wizardry 
moment there. What if Rip Torn was the Xenomorph? <laughs> now okay. that would have been great. It would have had to talk Terrifying though. Terrifying. Yeah. And it would have been smoking the whole time. It yes. would have just kept smoking. <laughs> well, all right. So I had already gone off wool gathering on something else, but back to this story, mm-hmm. space based. Right. That turns into alien. So yeah, Dan O'Bannon ended up kind of collaborating with this guy, Ronald Shusett. Mm-hmm. Um, and they kind of came up with a story together. And, you know, the chest burster was That was that. a big thing, yeah. yeah. huge. And, you know, when they brought this to these producers, people were trying to change it and rewrite it. But I think it kind of came back to Dan O'Bannon having credit for the screenplay in the end. I, I mean, I think there might actually be a ton of people for story and screenplay. It's like... I, when we watched the movie, I can't remember, but it's just like, I know that there was like a lot, there were a lot of people involved. Yeah, there were a lot of people involved as producers and changing character names and doing right. all kind of stuff, but it's only credited to Dan O'Bannon for the screenplay. The oh. story is credited to O'Bannon and Chiefs it. Okay. Um, but I know they were talking about Walter Hill doing some rewrites mm-hmm. and Dan O'Bannon seemed pretty chapped about it. <laughs> To say the least. Well, if you have something that you worked on and you've had for so long, and then someone changes it on you, I couldn't imagine that. That's like someone stealing your baby and giving it a new haircut. (laughs) No, how about stealing your baby and giving it like a nose job? Like something you couldn't really reverse easily. Oh my God. And everybody says, oh, the new nose looks so much better. What? (laughs) That's my baby. How could you do that? Yeah. Uh, Yeah. So at any rate, we do have this great vision that O'Bannon and Shusett kind of bring in. And it is kind of an update on Darkstar that makes it much more terrifying. Um, And it's funny because I was thinking about like how as horror movie watchers i think we're super jaded nowadays sure because back then like they're talking about when this movie premiered that people were like fainting yeah jumping up and running and you know i've never had that happen in a movie no ever but my mom said when she went to see carrie when it came out she went to see that at the theater and there is a big scare i'm not going to spoil but just please go watch the movie. Good grief. It's so good. <laughs> but Love there's Carrie. a big scare in Carrie that happens. And my mom said that there were people in her theater jumping over the seats trying to like get away from the screen because they were so scared. Really? Yes. You see, it's like the memories I have of horror films are just really rowdy late night audiences like talking back. Yes, or laughing. Laughing, yeah. making everyone laugh. So, I mean, maybe this is like a Gen X problem. Like, we introduced, we are the problem. Like, <laughs> we started this problem of just not, we're so jaded. We're just like, yeah, whatever. It's like, all right, I guess. Oh, yeah, space. you're going to kill me? Well, now I don't know how to pay my student loans. So, who won in the end? <laughs> yeah, I mean. <laughs> <laughs> because back in the day, though, apparently people were just like jumping out of their seats, you know, because they were getting so scared. And the the somebody I don't unfortunately remember who was saying that somebody fainted. An usher like fainted at the Egyptian where they were showing this movie. Wow! When the fight happens with Ash and Ash's head comes off. This usher just, like, passed out because he was so jacked up over it. 
<laughs> I'm just like, wow, dude, key it down a little bit. Well, it's like, I mean, I also really, when we watched it the last time, just wanted to start cracking jokes. And it's not because I don't appreciate the film. I love the film. You know, and we'll go on to talk about the artistry and all of the great nuts and bolts that make this the classic that it is. But I'm just going to jump ahead <laughs> to give you just some thoughts I had, okay? So at the very end of the film, at the very end of the film, Ripley is trying to get on the Narcissus to escape. She's trying to get from the Nostromo to the Narcissus, okay? But the Xenomorph is standing there, yes. right? So then she goes and she tries to shut off the self-destruct. Which is very stressful, yes. Sure is. But <laughs> I'm making myself laugh. I don't know if that's good or bad. People at home are like, what's wrong with this guy? Get to the point, Jack. <laughs> so here we go. So she manages to get back onto the Narcissus because she can't shut off the self-destruct. And when she's on there, she ultimately finds that the xenomorph is over in, like, some pipes, some tubing. Scariest part of the movie for me, hands down. Right. And then when she's over there, you know, he really blends in with these tubes. He, like, reaches out his hand. I did actually jump on the couch <laughs> when this happened this time. It's I Look, it, there are some very scary bits. I mean, also when we have Dallas in the vents. That's another bit. But okay, so here's what I started thinking about with the Xenomorph. So the Xenomorph just wanted to be a responsible flyer. <laughs> you know, like he was there early, right? Because he had to be there earlier for the flight to check in. <laughs> right? So yes. he's there and it's like, you know, then he gets on the flight and he's tired. I mean, he has had a really like rough time. He's been working nonstop, you know, and it's just like, you know, this I got to take a break. So he just lays down and, you know, he's just he's he's sleeping like, you know, many of us have done on a flight. Then, you know, it came to take off and, you know, they, they got out and, you know, she goes over there and, um, you know, it, it's almost like if you're on a flight and one of the flight staff comes over, you know what I mean, and wakes you up to ask if you'd like some peanuts, yeah. you know, and he just puts his hand out because he wants those he peanuts. He wants the peanuts. Well, yeah. I mean, as responsible as he is for going ahead and getting into his window seat early, <laughs> he, he did <laughs> not stow Jones in an overhead compartment securely. Boy, people got really awful with Jones in yeah, his little container. Jones. He's in this box and you just like are throwing them all over the place. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I felt like that was pretty rude. I thought it was terrible. Like Ripley. Ripley drops the thing with him. Yeah. Now, look, I know you're going through like a life and death experience, but I felt like you and Jones were tight. Yeah. Well, I know. Like her and Jones, they were like besties. Yeah. The whole time. You would, But I mean, whatever. At least Jones is not dead. Well, and Jones. she puts him in his little container where he can have a piece. For the time, Jones is, you know, hanging out. Yeah. You know, but I mean, Jones also hasn't been the best cat because Jones <laughs> has seen death. Jones has seen people die and Jones didn't do anything. Yeah, well, I mean, what is he going to do? He's a cat. Look, I think Jones could I have mean, done something. I don't know. Like this thing drips blood. Its blood is made of acid. Right. I mean, it could eat through Jones like that quick. I think Jones should have come up a little. You I know? mean, let's be honest. Jones is a cat. Cats never are doing anything except looking out for number one. 
But cats are super smart. They are. They're very intelligent. And I think that Jones could have taken out the Xenomorph. They're just not community-oriented, is my point. <laughs> I mean, it's, you know... Cats are individuals. <laughs> I, I mean, it's... I don't know. It's something that happens. It's something that happens, <laughs> I guess, in the film. But, yeah, Dallas, when he's in the vents trying to exterminate the Xenomorph, the flamethrower, and just seeing the flame in those vents... And the that sound scares effect. Me too. I mean, it's such a small space, mm. and you're like burning it up. Well, and then those locks, right? When they would lock down each section, yeah. it grinded so hard. It was just this metal. Well, that's a good point to bring up is about the spaceship. Because this is 1979, this came out. Mm -hmm. And, you know, this is right after a bunch of other space movies. Like, right. Star Wars is the what? Late 60s into the 70s tons of space movies because people were thinking about space because you know we landed on the moon in 1969 so at the same time you know 2001 had come out and it had like this crazy ship and all this awesome camera stuff we should talk about that movie someday absolutely um but because it was happening around the same time that the the Star Trek television show was happening. <laughs> if you compare, like, what, you know, Star Trek had the money to do versus what 2001 had the money to do, slightly different. Um, <laughs> but one thing that I would say about both of those is that they're very clean views of space. Like, Star Trek always has the super clean, you know, everything's clean. 2001 was, like, extra clean, I think that with Star Wars, like on the Millennium Falcon, things get a little grungy, but nothing like the Nostromo. No, Millennium Falcon is kind of like your garage. Yeah. You know, it's not like the cleanest thing, but it's certainly not the dirtiest. It's disorganized. Yeah, I mean, it probably like Han's quarters smell like flop sweat a little bit, <laughs> but overall, like the rest of the ship seems, you know, it's not spit shined. Like the J.J. Abrams Star Trek, those <laughs> those ships are so like bright and white that mm -hmm. it's almost like sterile looking. It's like kind of terrifying how bright they are when we watch that in a dark room. It's like our eyes hurt because it's like so white. Um, but <laughs> yeah, the Nostromo is like the polar opposite of all of those. It is a shithole. Oh, it's dirty. It's dank. Everybody's just smoking. Oh, my God. The amount of smoking in this one. I know that smoking was always a big feature. And that carries over into Ridley Scott's next film, Blade Runner. Yeah. So much smoking. Lots of smoking. And Veronica Cartwright in the, in the uh, background kind of info that we were watching was just talking about how they were smoking cigarettes, but then they're also bringing in all these smoke machines. Oh, man. So there was just, Ridley Scott is, like, in love with smoke and just <laughs> has smoke going all the time. Um, but, yeah, like, all I could think about the whole time is just how much it would stank like an old ashtray Ugh. in that ship. Like, how could you live in there? It's yeah. so gross. It's And it's so mm. just dirty. Like, everything just seems gross. And... You know, I don't know. People are wearing like weird clothes, and you know the engineering guys. <laughs> Let's talk about that. I mean, they're amazing anyway. That's a duo. That's a yeah. duo that I like. We have Harry Dean Stanton and Yafet Koto. So we have we have Brett 
and we have Parker. Yes. Um, these guys are like the Statler and Waldorf of the <laughs> ship. Yeah. <laughs> they are just a mess. They always want to stir up trouble. Yeah. And, you know, it's like they just egg each other on to yeah. just get worse and worse and worse. Well, at the beginning of the movie, pretty much everybody's been in stasis, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, they wake up from the stasis thinking that they're close to home. And they're not. The ship has just woken them up to inspect an anomaly. But they don't really know that for a while. Um, but, like, before they even have stretched out and all had a cup of coffee, Parker and Brett are already, like, talking about their shares and how they need more money and how they might just go on strike until they can get their, you know, a full share and it's really hilarious because clearly they've discussed this before. Oh, yeah. Like, because Harry Dean Stanton is not even going to, like, bring it up. But he, like, kind of indicates to Parker that he needs to bring it up. Yeah, and it's like, yeah, I think we should review this bonus situation. Yeah. And Harry Dean Stanton's like, yeah, that's a good idea. You know? <laughs> it's like, I don't know what the exact exchange is, but that's, that's really what we have. There's actually a part where they yell at you know, Harry Dean Stan's character, Brett, because all he does is agree with Parker on whatever he says. He is his yes man. Yeah. And when they're in private, you can actually see how they build on each other. Yeah. You know, there's a real problem with authority for them. And they're, they also are very misogynistic. They've got a real, real, real problem with Ripley. And you can see that. And these guys are such shitheads <laughs> that it, I, the, the line that gets me just because these guys are just so completely bullshit is they're talking, you know, on the communicator to Ripley, who's on another deck. And she says, you know, she's coming down. And then Harry Dean Stanton is like, well, she better stay the fuck out of my way. <laughs> and I'm like, what? Like, what are you going to do, guy? Like, like seriously, he does nothing the whole time. He's like 10 pounds soaking wet. Yeah. You know what I mean? He's nothing. He looks like he's just made out of cigarettes and whiskey. <laughs> he is. Like, I mean, 99% of his DNA. But, <laughs> yeah, and the funny thing is also that, you know, when Ripley gets down there, she's like yelling over, you know all the smoke and everything right. and the noise and they're like oh what we can't hear you you know and they're just bugging the crap out of her and she's having to like yell at them and then when she leaves parker just flips the switch yeah off what because he was just <laughs> making all the noise and stuff just to be an ass well you could tell yeah and he's just like smiling he's like what what like <laughs> yeah. it's i mean they really have oh man you know some aggressive chemistry you know it, it's a it's a funny scene because it is so bullshit yeah well and you know ripley is young right and mm -hmm. she's a woman so it's not just one or the other which are bad enough but these guys feel like they're just the worker bees and all these other people are like command which is kind of interesting to me, too, because this isn't military. No. It's just like, you know, from what I can understand, they're miners and truckers. So they just went and mined all this material with their ship. And now they're transporting it back. It's being, I don't know if it's being refined in transit. I guess that's what I'm assuming. But they're like bringing this material back. Yeah. Across I mean space. It, it, and yeah, that is it. Space truckers 
was the idea that they had with this. But then you have a captain and a warrant officer and a navigator and all this other stuff and a science officer, like Ash is the science officer. So I don't know. It was a little, I just had questions about it. Like, you know, because it felt like there was military rank going on here. So I well, don't know. No, you, you have a point. I mean, it really, it ties in with Star Trek. And then, of course, we see 2001, right? We have the evil computer. Yes. You know, mother, and we also, in this case. Yeah. Mo- what a name, Mother. Instead of Hal. Mother. 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 <laughs> but I also, this one is really good. Like, late in the film, Yafet Kodo, his shirt gets really ripped, just like <laughs> well, Shatner, Captain you know, Kirk. on, uh, you know, original series Star Trek. So it's very funny. It's really good. Yeah. So that was one of the things that I picked up on. When we were going through this time, I'm like, oh, wow, because Yafet Koto, he's business in this. He's really good. He's like, <laughs> he just wants to kill the alien. <laughs> you know, it's like they actually have it set up so that Lambert, you know, is just in pure terror. Right. Yeah. And he's like, get out of the way so I can get it. And then he like just charges the fucking xenomorph, and then he dies. But he like charges it. It's At almost least like he a football. Went for it. Oh no, that it, that's what I'm saying. He's ready to go. He's like, we're gonna do this one way or the other. But I have to tell you, you know, I may like to think in that situation that I am Parker, but really I'm Lambert. <laughs> um, and I yeah, I can yeah. illustrate this by the way. So a million years ago, I was on a trip to England. Okay, and there was this thing that was called Alien War in London, and we were like, what is this? What is this? And it was like some kind of total immersion deal. And, and you know, so this is like the 90s, right? So th- this is like, okay, what is this? And we saw like there was a picture of Sigourney Weaver that she was there when it opened. And we're like, okay, let's check it out. So this was the wildest thing. So you get into this area you walk in and it looks like you're going to sit down in a transport you sit down in these seats and then you strap in and you have someone saying that you're going to you know visit the alien planet okay and you're like okay all right so you strap in and then all of a sudden it's like you know there's kind of a tussle there's a sound and like oh we must have hit something i don't know what that is and so you're like okay And so it continues, and there's like, maybe there's something wrong with the electrical system. And then, before you know it, a a full xenomorph, full size, shows up and takes one of the people that was with you away (laughs) while they're screaming, and there's a strobe light. So you're like, okay, this this is not okay, okay? So you're really horrified, and you're like, my God, this actually does feel real. You know, I'm a high school kid, right? And it was me and two other guys. I remember this. (laughs) So the xenomorph shows up, takes one of the people away. Then your tour guide is like, okay, all right. um, We just have to move on because the transport is damaged. So we walk on and then we walk into a room with all of those enormous alien eggs. Oh, God, they're so gross. Right. So it's just like these evil chicken croquettes Hmm. ready to pop you know, with a face hugger and, and, you know, they're kind of moving and they have great sound effects in here. And you're like, Oh my God. So you're like walking by these things and you don't know because I never thought a full size xenomorph would show up. 
I didn't see that coming. No. So it was like, okay, you're terrified. You're like, I'm going to die. And then you move on and you're like, okay, all right. Okay, we're cool. So then you keep going. <laughs> and I don't remember every part of it, but I do remember the ending. And it was a great finish. So we get, you know, through the end of this place, we're walking around and it's just a hallway. And the guide is like, okay, you know, you guys, you got to get out of here. You know what I mean? You just go down this hallway and you just go straight and this will take you out into the main courtyard and then you'll be able to get on this other spaceship. You know, so you're you're fully believing this <laughs> at this point. OK, so so we go walking down this hallway and one of the most terrifying things I've ever seen in my life happens, which is out of the fucking ceiling drops down a full-size xenomorph oh boy. right in front of me. I start screaming as loud as I could. The xenomorph, you know, there's the strobe light. The xenomorph's moving the head, and they're doing the hands, and, like, it's awful. And I'm like, I'm, I really think I'm going to get eaten. I'm waiting for that extra little tongue mouth to come out and whammy me. So I was like, okay, I, I, you know what I mean? So I, I, like, got behind my friends, and I was literally crouched down behind my second friend in line holding onto his backpack i was like okay guys i don't know i don't know what's gonna happen okay like i am the original hudson <laughs> we knew that you're a super was anyway. oh i am well actually you know lambert and hudson there's a real connection in characters but so yeah back in the hallway you know so the xenomorph leaves go down the hall get out of here you know we're running like hell we're ready to go we bust out these double doors we're screaming our heads off and we end up in the middle of this mall. <laughs> <laughs> we look like that's the biggest hilarious. idiot. So yeah, that that's what happens. I you did know? a yeah. Disney World had something like that for a little while. Like, I don't think it was permanent, but I went when they had it, and I remember like you go into that room. It was like this big circular kind of room, mm -hmm. and. They were just like, okay, we're going to transport over here so that we can see, you know. And then the, the thing happens. All the lights go out. No, yeah. And in the thing that I did, like, there was some kind of an air jet in yes! your seat. I forgot about this. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. It, like, blew in your ear. Yes. <laughs> like, it was behind you, breathing on you. Yes. Terrifying. And then the lights come back on, and it's strobe kind of lighting. Mm -hmm. And there's the xenomorph in the middle. Oh. And that's like, get out, get out. I don't remember anybody being taken away, but that's amazing. <laughs> Them taking the person away made it so legit <laughs> because you were sitting, you know, strapped into these chairs together, you know, in your transport ride. And then they just take one of these people. <laughs> really he just kind of grabs them kind of by the neck and just takes them out. Like, it's it's horrible. I, I remember they're like, okay, everybody, let's go to this elevator and we'll get out of here. And then the door opens, this guy's going over, and then the xenomorph just rolls out and just takes <laughs> them. <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. that If that happened, I can't believe I forgot it. But I just remember, like, seeing the alien in the middle of the room, and it was scary, and then, like, you're leaving. And I don't think it had as much of that other stuff. I think they simplified it, maybe, for Disney World. But I could just be misremembering. I wasn't really scared. I just thought it was cool. <laughs> I wish I was there. Like, I believed it too much. I'd never done anything like that. Well, it was it like was, a total immersion different. thing. Yeah, yeah, it's very different than, you know, just your standard ride or whatever. Yeah, it's like, I don't even know. It's not like a call. ride. It's like a what? An adventure? I don't I mean, know. It's kind of like you're in a little sketch or something. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. It's like you're 
role-playing game or whatever. I don't know. It was, you know, I mean, my memory, I'm sure, is not perfect on all the beats either, but I do remember the highlights. I leave that in quotes. You know, (laughs) with the guy, the alien taking one away, and then when it it dropped down from the ceiling, Yeah, that really got you. And all the smoke, like, oh, See, where I would have been in trouble is if there was, like, a lot more of a face-hugger threat, because I am freaked out by the face-hugger and the chest-burster. You didn't have the egg room? I don't remember the egg room, but, like, I didn't... I guess even if I did, I didn't feel like imminent danger oh. of getting a face hugger on me. And that's like it. Like I can't do the face hugger. I'd rather like, I'd rather be facing off against the Xenomorph Oof. than the face hugger. <laughs> Both like, are tough. Well, I mean, it's just like, okay. So when Kane gets the face hugger on him mm. and they bring him back and like they put him on the table, you know, he's got this thing on his face and it's like, how is he not suffocating? The thing's like tightening its tail around oh, his man. neck. Yeah, yeah. Like he's sweating like crazy. And that part just seems like totally horrifying to me. And then the worst part of it is that like he wakes up and he's like thinks he's okay. And then the chest burster thing happens, which is really like the first time you see that, it is super scary. Yeah. And, yeah, I mean, and it's interesting. It's like There's so many questions here. Like, Ripley didn't want to let them back in because of the quarantine rule. Oh, yeah, and she was absolutely right. But she what was. happened? They didn't listen to her. Well, not only, I mean, part of it is because of Ash, right? Ash is the whole thing. He opened the door. Because he has yeah. his own program going on. But yep. then Lambert, like, smacks the crap out of Ripley later. Oh, man, that's rough, yeah. For being like, you weren't going to let us in or whatever. And it's like... She was right. She shouldn't have let them in. Like, everyone is... Literally everyone except her died. Because yeah. of... Because, the you know, Ash let them back in with that thing. Ash was so creepy. Ash, we should have known the whole time. Why? Because Ash always drank milk. He just kept drinking milk all the time. And then he was sweating milk. Well, but... In a nasty time. Bad guys drink milk. This is like a movie thing. Okay. We see this in many, many films. What Most are they? recently, I think about Homelander from the boys. Oh, okay, okay. Homelander is always drinking milk. Okay. From whatever source he can get it from, which is pretty gross. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. But Anton Chigurh in No Country for Old Men drinks milk. Okay. Uh, Alex DeLarge. And his gang in Clockwork Orange go to the milk bar and oh, drink yeah. milk. So bad guys love milk. Wow. I didn't really think of that. There's even more examples, but those are the ones that just come to my mind right now. Well, then like Ron Burgundy says milk was a bad choice. <laughs> yeah. So that's how we know he was good. Yes, because he drank the milk, but he regretted it instantly. <laughs> but no, I mean, Ash is always like having a milk. And it's like, uh-oh. I mean... Yeah, George McFly is okay because his milk is chocolate. Right. Okay. But, you know, just white milk <laughs> equals evil. White milk equals death. Yes. Okay. Well, and I think it's probably because people think of that as like a wholesome drink and they're like subverting that because these people are acting wholesome by drinking milk, but they're the opposite of wholesome. Well, what about that scene? I, I think it was a deleted scene that we saw, or it was a part of a deleted scene, where Ripley is talking with Lambert, 
and asking if she has hooked up with Ash. Yeah, that is a deleted scene. Yeah, she's like, you know, have have you gotten together with Ash? She's like, no. And, you know, Ripley's like, yeah, you know, I, I tried. or I, I don't know if she said I tried, but she's like, he just didn't seem like he was interested. Yeah, that was like a whole thing they were kind of trying to build in to, like, give you thoughts that maybe Ash is, like, different. But yeah. I don't think I would have thought he was different. I would just thought, like, I mean, my whole, like, thought about these people being on the ship is how gross and awful that would be because oh, yeah. not just because the ship is a pit okay, <laughs> but also because like you're just stuck in here with basically like your co-workers mm-hmm. for god knows how long yeah and you're in stasis so i mean my assumption has to be that you don't really have family or anything back there because you could have been gone for years mm-hmm. on the ship but you were like, you know, in stasis for X amount of, you know, months or whatever. And you got home. So you have only aged that amount of time. Yeah. But the amount of time that's passed on Earth is much longer. So I find that like creepy. It is creepy. And there's a lot of heavy stuff that's going on on that vessel. You know, like Parker talks about he wants to go down on somebody yeah you know, well, while they're at you know the the dinner table that's like all right you know i'm again, like your co-workers exactly you are with these people forever like that's fucked up you don't just lay that down you know what i mean so it's like there is definitely some really heavy tension all around on that vessel and i mean let's talk about when we actually see you know, this this directive from Mother, yeah. you know, that says that the only thing that is important is the xenomorph. And everyone else is expendable. Nothing else matters. Yeah. It, that, that's one of the creepiest things. I well, mean, calling yeah. it Mother it is disturbing. And it's like you're in this kind of like light, bright womb. You know? Yeah, well, there is a lot of that type of imagery anyway. Oh, yes. Like, H.R. Giger is the person who did the design mm-hmm. of the alien and the jockey, they call him. The space jockey, space yeah. Jockey. I have no idea why he's called that. I don't know, because he's riding something, but I mean, whatever, it's not a horse. Uh, <laughs> anyway. Uh, yeah, that's weird. He designed that, but like his designs, in my opinion, and probably everybody else's, because it's pretty obvious are super sexual oh yeah like the xenomorph's head is like really phallic yeah the back of his head's a penis yeah and then it also like shoots out another little you know tube type thing out of its mouth and like yeah even the chest burster is kind of phallic and then you're inside like where the eggs and everything are and everything there's like these long like you know, vaginal kind of things. And even, like, you know, anuses and stuff everywhere. So everything just looks, like, hypersexual or scatological. Yes. Throughout this whole thing, you feel completely uncomfortable because of this overwhelming violation, you know? And I, I, you know, I know exactly what you're talking about. And there are so many things that, that feed into that. You know, just like you said, you know, the alien, the penis head, 
and then it's like the mouth and then then there's another mouth and it's kind of metal and i don't know i you know it makes you think about like does a penis like shoot out a metal mouth it's super nasty right well and the the face hugger when they're like dissecting it like we don't even know what's going on that was made out of like meat and oysters or yes. something they said yes there was so much actual meat that was used in this like meat and fish yeah, it was, um, Ridley Scott talked about, yeah, some well-placed oysters, and I don't remember what else he said, entrails, and I know they talked about cow innards, I'm pretty sure, at one point, or livers, and just all of these different elements. And when they're inside the alien ship, okay, there's like that big thing that uh, that John Hurt kind of falls down. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And do you remember, they talked about, they actually had... Uh, cow parts fresh from the slaughterhouse yeah they were using like well the inside of the egg is a piece of tripe i think okay so like it's that's basically a cow's stomach i believe so you know you see this kind of pinkish gross thing with like these white veiny things in it it's really disgusting but that's like what's inside the egg and then that thing jumps out on his helmet but yeah the bottom part of the egg, I think, was some kind of, I don't know, see-through kind of plastic or something. Yeah, and Ridley Scott said he was in there with some gloves on, yeah. like, making Moving shapes. Yeah, so that made it scary. But then it, when it opens, like, you see that disgusting tripe. Yeah. And it's ugh, so gross. Well, and I thought it was so gross when, you know, Ash is like probing around oh man in this face huggers carcass i mean that whole part was so scary when they go in to see you know where it went mm-hmm. and it's like it's coming out of the ceiling oh, God. behind ripley and i jumped on that too so i did have a couple of jumps i'm not totally jaded no i they get you really good in this film it's a very very smart film and i understand there's not traditional action at the beginning but the tension is building so much that, like, the action is almost like the beginning of some kind of relief for me. Because I'm like, <laughs> okay, we're we're doing this. Like, I'm more scared than ever, but I know we're moving forward to correct this problem. Well, it is, it is very thrilling. I mean, that's... It's very suspenseful. I don't know who was talking about it in the documentary, but they were talking about, like, Hitchcock kind of suspense yes. that was being built up the whole time that, like, Scott was kind of building that in and mm-hmm. it's in the script to some extent also. And I think that that was really successful. Like, the suspense is, like, ratcheted up so much that when something does happen that is kind of, like, a big deal, you're just like, ah, you know? <laughs> like, and, you know, I don't know. Did you... What what was... Do you... Do you remember what your first reaction was to seeing Ash was a robot and having his head smacked off? I never liked Ash. Um, I saw Aliens first. So when I Uh, saw Alien, I thought it would just be like Marines and shooting. And I wasn't expecting this completely different mood. And... I was very uncomfortable with everyone, you know, because I I was younger and I'm like, these people seem a lot older, you know, um, 
I wasn't like smoking cigarettes at that point in my life and I wasn't a fan of the smell and I was with you I was like this seems claustrophobic this seems dirty everybody is just screaming and hating each other um and ash was creepy the, everything about him he does that weird little running thing at one point yeah i mean and he does that thing that you pointed out where it's like he's waving at the camera oh my god yes it's it's very weird he actually yeah it so when dallas kane and lambert actually go down to you know the the planet surface of lv426 you know, he actually is looking through the cockpit and he's like smiling and like kind of does a double wave for a second. I wondered if that was a moment that he didn't know was going to be used in the movie, <laughs> because I remember them actually talking about using uh, kids. I think they actually used Ridley Scott's kids um, in part of it because they wanted the ship to look so much grander in scale that they got, you know, shorter people to play, you know, the stand ins for you know those three right so i i wondered if like he saw those kids and he was just being him for a second and waved yeah and then like the editor was like oh jesus you know what i mean <laughs> well it was creepy like what's he doing he's he's a very he's disturbed so weird. well and again okay and it's ian holm who great actor i mean i don't know like if i saw this this was like maybe my first thing i ever saw him in so like ever since i've just always waiting for him to be creepy agreed but like yeah when he was bilbo in lord of the rings mm. i was like oh no this is not gonna be good and then when they show like bilbo have that like freak out yeah i was just like oh yeah i knew it i knew it because it's the home <laughs> and like other movies that i think about as well uh yeah that I don't want to say because I don't want to like spoil anything, but you know, whatever. No, I get what you he's mean. He's in other movies and he's creepy, creeper son. You got to watch out whenever you see him. And I think this is probably why I already had that association because I think I probably saw this first. Well, when we have that scene in Mother where, you know, Ripley sees, <sighs> you know, this directive and then Ash just like shows up. You know, you're like, how the hell did you get in there? That's terrifying. Yeah, he just, like, pops up like it's Ooh, a good time. So creepy. So then the two of them struggle. Creepy as hell, right? And they get outside of Mother. That sounds so fucking Ew. gross, by the way. So they exit Mother. And, <laughs> still, um, you know, gross. her nose is bleeding. And then he has the milk sweat. And so I think that's to show, like, you know, we've got a human and something other than human. I don't know really anyone that, that sweats milk. And then, you know, they have, like, this full-on, you know, battle. And Ash, like, sexually assaults Ripley in the creepiest fucking way. It's like we walk into this room, and I'm not sure whose room it is, but if you look at the wall, there's all these photos. The top of the photos there are two fried eggs and then there are all these pictures of these naked women and ash actually rolls up a magazine and is trying to like shove it down you know ripley's throat i mean is it to choke her is it to try to be like the face hugger i mean it's this very gross frustrated sexual scene that really does feel like Hitchcock. You feel like Hitchcock is here because this is so twisted and this is so terrifying and this is such a violation, you know, because Ash wants to be 
you know, a, a xenomorph. He is in awe of them. He loves them so much. And so it's like he's trying to, like, be like that face hugger penetrating your your mouth and laying eggs in it. it. It Yeah, it's super, super, super wrong. You know, and again, they just left mother. So then, you know, we have the, the battle. You know what I mean? We have uh, Parker and Lambert. You know, they show up and they, they tag team them and they take care of them. I mean, it's crazy because even when Ash's head gets knocked off, he's still fighting. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's like Lambert has to hit him in the back with a cattle prod completely crazy completely terrifying you know it's like in this movie that has so much sexual charge that is the most disturbing and when they first start you know to fight back on ash when they get him away from ripley that's when you just start shooting all this milk out of his mouth which is just like you know yeah we know. we know what it is so it's just like oh my god and you know he just keeps doing it. it it just like keeps shooting out it's one of the nastiest scenes i've ever seen it's uber grotesque i mean they know how to be disgusting in this movie. <laughs> like, yeah there's no question about that it's horrible i mean it's oh, and God. ash is just gross he's just gross i mean and it's interesting what you say about him like you know wanting to be a xenomorph mm-hmm. i guess i didn't really think about this before but yeah, he's like so. It, it's beyond the point of this is my directive, into like he loves it. It's like you know, yes, it is his directive. He's been told that the entire crew is expendable. Only thing that matters is getting that back. Yeah. To you know the headquarters or whatever. But he has like an affinity. Like he's really into this thing. He loves it. It's yeah. that's. He has such respect for it that he refers to the xenomorph as Kane's son. Yeah. Oh, it's gross. Yeah, yeah. That, that creeped me out. Well, he has a real, like, Anthony Perkins psycho vibe. Yeah. Once again, that's the kind of thing I feel that he's bringing to the table. Because you might think he's okay at first and just a little weird. And then the more and more, you know, that we peel back, the more we see how bad this guy is. In all ways. And again, remember, where we really see him turn is when he's inside Mother. And just like Psycho, right, Norman Bates had that relationship with his mother. mother yeah. Right? So it's it's like a, a mm. similar... That's really interesting. A similar kind of thing. And do we have, when he's struggling with Ripley, do we have another, like, swinging light situation like in Psycho? I don't remember. Or did I make it up? You might have made it up. Okay. But it doesn't really matter because I could see it happening. I mean, it, it wouldn't be out of the question. Yeah, because, it's a frantic scene. Yeah, and the way that he is, you know, shoving this magazine oh, in her God. mouth and stuff is so creepy. I can totally see Norman Bates doing that. Yeah, it, it's very, very oh, it's wrong. gross. Well, and again, yeah. just like Norman Bates. Norman Bates had all of the uh, the stuffed animals. Well, now that makes him sound nice. No, the... Uh, what, what do you call that? Taxidermied Yes, thank animals. you. <laughs> Not the stuffed animals, ladies well, and gentlemen. Well, they are stuffed animals, yeah, but technically. Yeah, but that, oof, God, no. Not the same like, kind. Yeah, Not no. Not stuffies. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, all that taxidermy up, and it, it was all of these these scary creatures. You know what I mean? Or at least in my memory, they were well, scary. Well, taxidermied yeah. animals look gross and creepy anyway. Yeah, like claws and just, you know, teeth and... 
Yeah, I mean it's that's yeah, the scary birds stuff. Of prey and stuff. Yeah, and it's you know it's it's very like similar in terms of that. You can see it. I mean, you can definitely see the Hitchcock influence in this. You can certainly see the two thousand one. You can see you know Star Wars. You know, and again, but the influence that you can see that you can trace to Star Wars, you can also then trace back to 2001. Yeah. So it's like, you know, it's this continuum. But that long shot of the ship. The ship. The yeah. Sh- the ship shots really are very Star Warsy, mm-hmm. Like, because they, they look similar almost. Like, the Star Destroyer mm-hmm. kind of looks like the Nostromo. With the Nostromo being, like, a little bit dirtier and grosser. But, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, you think about how massive the ships are in Star Wars. And this brings that kind of massive feel to this as well. Well, let's talk about how they did all of these things with these models. And then, like, a, a forklift covered in black velvet do you remember this yeah they did a lot i mean well the designers was say ron cobb ron cobb uh designed i know the interior of the of the the good guys spaceships um so the nostromo and the narcissus and then hr giger did really everything associated with the aliens Mm mm-hmm Because, you know, it was like he would know, you know, what they wanted. But Ron Cobb, again, very exciting because he also worked on Conan the Barbarian. And he also was in Conan the Barbarian. And he has that very funny part where he is selling something that seems like a narcotic you know, Black Lotus, Stygian. Stygian, the best, you know, he's excellent. So it's like to see, you know, his work. And we actually learned uh, that he actually used to be a political cartoonist and he was excellent at it. So he has so many ideas. They actually showed what his idea was for the Xenomorph. And they ultimately decided not to go with that, but they loved him you know, for the spaceship designs because he really has this wonderful, wonderful mind that's extremely practical and functional. So you believe these things. Yeah. And all of these different little warning signs that he created, you know, it's like if you're in a room with zero gravity, you see a person that's upside down, (laughs) you know, it's like all of these great little touches. Yeah. And then Chris Foss was who did the outside, I think, of the spaceship. Okay. And Foss is somebody that Dan O'Bannon had met when he was working on that failed dune. Oh, Hauderowski's dune. In in Europe, yeah. Well, that's also where he met H.R. Giger. And he actually um, was thinking about Alien, and he gave him, he gave Giger some money to give him some drawings. Yeah. So that was, I, I mean... <laughs> It's yeah. crazy how and, it loops together. Yeah, Foss, I think, does a lot of the outside. Um, we had seen some of his concept drawings from that dune. Mm-hmm. Chris Foss is like big ships that he's designed. So I thought that like this goes back to kind of what you were saying at the beginning about how it's like all these artists collaborating yeah. to make this movie, which is why it's such a good movie. Mm-hmm. Because, yeah, it's kind of your standard creature space you know, beast there. <laughs> the old space beast, yeah. But, you know, they're elevating that by, you know, bringing in Ridley Scott, who just made this movie The Duelist at the time, which was not, you know, a, a genre fiction type of movie. Right. <laughs> you know, and and then all these art people who were really good at 
engineering kind of technical drawing art and they applied that to you know the ships and everything it made something really special and unforgettable and at least in my mind absolutely and the fact that ridley scott is an artist himself he's a trained artist with a degree and he has all of these drawings that we saw yeah he had so many ideas and he also would work very hands-on on the shoot he actually was the camera operator you know he knew what he wanted and when they worked with the miniatures and you know everything else he wanted to be there to reframe it a lot of the time they would do reshoots if he wasn't there to actually operate the camera himself because he knew exactly how he wanted everything to look and some of the model makers talked about how it was difficult because they would work on something for weeks he would show up and be like all right just we got to cut this down and he'd just start like hacking away <laughs> yeah and then just be like all right i'm gonna you know i'm gonna go to lunch and when i come back just have this fixed up and then you know we're gonna shoot it <laughs> and it had taken them so long to get it the way that they thought it should be but you know that's the vision and i mean it does come across like it works mm. and i think that it's interesting just to see you know that if it wasn't for him those people probably wouldn't have been employed to right. make models in the first place because his storyboards like literally doubled the budget of the movie because he brought those in to the producers and said, look, this is what my vision is, but I need more money to do it. And they were like, okay, looks good. We can see, you know what you're doing. Here's the money. Yeah. Well, and it also, even though he had a film, the duelist, which was successful, they viewed him as a brand new filmmaker. And what was interesting is that he just wanted them, you know, his people to build as many sets as they could, you know, because he wanted to have, you know, as many areas. Yeah. And then people, you know, from the studio would come through and go, hey, what is this? We didn't authorize this, you know, and then they'd <laughs> stop it. So it was funny that they just had so many things that they would play around with. I, I mean, something else that I found very interesting is that the Who were shooting something next door to them at the studio, and they actually took one of their lights. Yeah, their laser, the blue kind of laser light. Yeah. Which is in the egg scene, I think, um, when, yeah, John Hurt is walking through there, and you can see that kind of smoke mm -hmm. that looks kind of just like a film across, you know, a flat film. Um, that's because of this kind of weird laser that they kind of were like, hey... Let's borrow this from the Who. <laughs> um, that's actually my one of my favorite visuals in the movie. Like when I saw every time I see that, I just think it looks cool, because the smoke, Ridley Scott's favorite thing. Oh yeah, is kind of the laser makes it look kind of like I don't know ink and water or something, and it's really cool. And it looks it's also creepy because you're like, why would this look like this? Well, I feel that that was used in many films after we saw it in Alien. Yeah. You know, I'm pretty sure we saw it again in Aliens. I think we might have seen it in Terminator. It just seems like an effect that we had seen used again because it was so effective. Well, it looks super so powerful. cool. Yeah. yeah. And it's creepy. It's just, you know, it's not natural at all. And it really does make you feel, like, uncomfortable because it's uncanny. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I want to talk about just the practical effects. So when we actually saw the spaceship separation, that was actually achieved by a forklift driving away. 
you know, and they had it covered in black velvet. And that was insane when they explained it. You know, I was like, wow, they really <laughs> just did that. Well, because it looks real. Like, yeah. I mean, it looks really real and it looks huge. Yeah. I mean, I think that that's something that was really successful in this movie is that the scale of everything just looks so massive. Yes. Like it feels like, and that makes it more scary because you're like in the ship and you don't know where the hell this alien is. It could be anywhere. Mm -hmm. And it's, you know, it's got so many hiding places. Everything is dark, you know? Right. And it just, it feels very scary. It's perfect setting for this type of kind of claustrophobic chase film in a way. Well, if you think about it, it's almost like a, a reverse, you know, kind of diehard, you know, because it's like the alien wants to take down all the people on the ship. Yeah. You know, and again, we end up in the vents, right? You okay. know, they have actually, you know, that battle there, which Dallas ultimately loses. But, you know, it's just like these little things that all tie together. And it's like 20th Century Fox had Die Hard as well as <laughs> Alien. It's little things that no one thinks about. It's like, I'm probably going to tell you, did you know two people shot a scene on a street? <laughs> did you hear about that? What? Yeah, I'm serious. And then they went on the sidewalk. Oh, my but, God. Yeah, I mean, I, I get weird with this shit. But, <laughs> you know, it's it's just like these are the things you think about. Well, but it was really, I think that, like, I was really happy that we had gotten the anthology when we decided to watch this for the show. Because there's so much, like, background info. And it's such an interesting story mm -hmm. of how this movie came to be. Um, and, you know, what the reactions were to it and, you know, everything about it. Like, you know, it's, it is a horror movie, but there's so much to it and the art of it is very enduring. Like, it sticks in your head. Like, Giger's weird, you know, mind <laughs> really, like, brought out some crazy stuff. That you're never going to forget. Like, I, I never will forget what the alien looks like. It's scary, and it's totally otherworldly, too. Like, there's nothing like that. It is kind of lizardy, but it's also kind of buggy. I mean, right. like, it's all kind of things. And it also is, like, made out of metal. Like, the head looks like polished metal. And then, like, when the little... I don't know what it is. Tongue, mouth. I, I never know what to refer the to that as either. mouth creature comes out, and that's, like, metal. And then the the chest burster had, like, I think metal-looking teeth. Like, the exoskeleton looks metal. I mean, it, it's weird. It makes me think of, like, a twisted octopus. It looks, like, really thick. Like but, a thick hide. I don't hard. Yeah. Yeah, it looks... Oh, yeah. Yeah, because you feel like... It has to be in order to hold all of this acid blood. Yeah. Because there, there's so much in there. I mean, it's crazy that we actually had a person inside of the alien suit. And that, I mean, it's just like, wow. You know, it, they found this guy at a bar. They <laughs> thought, hey, he fits the bill. He's <laughs> tall and thin. You want to be in a movie, buddy? You know, and then they got him and they got him to do some different kind of like circus training, movement training so that he could really do some really great, graceful moves that were absolutely terrifying. 
Yeah, I mean, that's, to me, that's where this is really successful because it's funny, but when we talked about Carpenter, I'm going to kind of loop it back around to Carpenter a little bit because there are a lot of similarities between this movie and The Thing, mm, which is something that we had discussed. Yeah, yeah. Um, Just, you know, the setting, they're in like an isolated location, trapped with only their co-workers, like the ultimate nightmare. <laughs> 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 well, you know, this is actually, I think, going to be coming out on John Carpenter's birthday. Oh, wow. If I'm not That's mistaken. Awesome. I think it's the 16th of January. Um, well, hopefully. it's coming. <laughs> Hopefully. Hey, it was supposed to come out two days ago. Don't worry about that. Um, anyway. But yeah, so they're trapped. Only their co-workers. Unholy nightmare. No outside communication available, really. I mean, they have, you know, communication, but it's not getting anywhere. It doesn't seem from what I'm seeing, you know, and they have nowhere to go. And this force from outside is attacking them, picking them off one by one. Um, But whereas John Carpenter was like very against having like a guy in a suit as like the, the evil, we do have a guy in a suit here. But I think it really works because it is so foreign looking. And it makes me think back to a really great Star Trek episode, The Devil in the Dark, which is about this creature that is eating miners. And that, I didn't even think about it being miners, but we. Oh, wow. Like, you know, that mining again. Yeah. Okay. Uh, awesome. But awesome work. There. In The Devil in the Dark, we have this character called the Horta, which is this silicon based or silica based i can't remember um life form so it kind of can dissolve rock so everybody's terrified of it because it's killing people but the reason it's killing people in that case is because they have kind of drilled into its home and taken away its children and it's terrified so it's like both the you know humans and this horda are scared of each other And the only way that they're able to overcome that is because Spock does like a mind meld with the creature and he's able to understand why it is doing what it's doing. It's an awesome, 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 awesome episode. It's one of my very favorite TOS Star Trek apps. Highly recommend it. I have like a action figure of Spock and the Horta and it looks horrible. It's like a pizza monster <laughs> it does look like pizza the hut except tiny and uh, so space balls again um, well let's take it let's continue the space balls so space balls has the absolute best parody of this film which is they have john hurt in a space diner right oh, yeah. right and then he's like you know eating or hanging out and he goes oh no not again and then you know the alien bursts out of his chest and you know it scurries away when we first see it you know in alien it's you know born as they say and then the creature runs away but in Spaceballs, what happens is since they're at a diner john hurt is sitting you know right at the the bar of the diner the alien jumps out (laughs) goes onto the the counter 
and uh, sings a song. Um, it gets a, a top hat and I believe maybe even a cane as well. I think so. It's got Oh, my old... God. It has a cane and it was cane. Oh. oh. If it has the cane or I might have made up the cane. Who knows? Well, but I know it has the hat. It gives that old razzle dazzle anyway. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, it does a musical number and then runs away. Yeah. So it's it's hilarious and it's perfect because oh, so it's stupid. just the perfect roast I forgot that that was part of that movie. I knew, I remembered that, but I didn't know what it was from. Oh, yeah. So that's ridiculous and amazing. It's perfect. So you're always looking for connections in movies with everything. And as you know, if you're someone like me, you're really looking for connections. So we find out at the beginning of the film that we actually have seven passengers on board, right? And, you know, when I was in school, they said the two greatest sources for writers were Shakespeare and the Bible. And, I mean, you can definitely trace that back with Shakespeare because, um, you know, uh, Xenomorph and Juliet. Yes, of I course. mean, that was... I mean, everyone was all over that. We definitely had that in my school. So, and then in the Bible, you know, the Book of Ash. But, like... <laughs> Matthew, Mark, Luke, Dallas, and Ash. Absolutely. So, what we have going on there is kind of like almost the, the maybe the seven deadly sins, right? You know, and Fincher, who directed the third Alien film, again, continuing great directors in the Alien series, made seven, you know, and that was all about the seven deadly sins. So my mind started spinning around the fact, were each of the characters on board the Nostromo representative of different sins? So there are some that I think could be a couple... And, and I'm like, does this completely fit? So I'm going to tell you it's a bit of a loose jam, but I'm going <laughs> to give it to you the best way that I can. So the first one is lust, okay? And lust is something that we have with Parker. And again, that's when he lets you know while you're eating food before you're all going to go to sleep with him for like, you know, a hundred years <laughs> that he wants to perform cunnilingus on you. Definitely, you know, a great bedtime story. So I would definitely give, you know, Parker a check for lust. Um, also, we could go ahead and we could give a check there for Ash as well um, because of what happens with Ripley. Um, but I would argue no, because it's not sexual. It's angry. I mean, that makes him wrath rather than lust. You go with wrath. I will take wrath. I will I take mean, he wrath. he could also be envy. I personally think that if you can't do a direct, exact kind of line from each person to the one sin, that it kind of falls apart a bit as an allegory. I do think that there are definitely a lot of sins being like <laughs> um, done here. In this movie, I think that like Parker alone... <laughs> probably represents at least four of the sins himself but you can like really see in that framework where everybody has issues except potentially Ripley who I feel doesn't well also with Ripley when she is on the Narcissus at the end she takes off her space suit and she's wearing all white now, that is what we see at the very beginning when they wake up from their hypersleep as everyone's wearing all white. But at that point, it makes me think that she is 
innocent, pure. She has been wanting to do the right thing this entire time, and no one has been listening to her at all. So when I actually thought about the Seven and I thought about Ripley, I felt like she was actually outside of that. So maybe Jones is part of it. Maybe, <laughs> you know, the, the xenomorph is part of it. You know, Gluttony, Kane, he says that he wants to eat. You remember that? He's like, hey, you know, I'm so hungry. Can we just get a quick meal on before we go back in a hypersleep? Greed. Again, we're taking a look at Parker and we're also taking a look Brett, at Brett because yeah. we're talking about the shares. Sloth. Again, Brett both. Yeah. And Parker. Both. Yeah. yeah. At Wrath. You could also, yeah, Wrath we could have on Ash. We could also have Wrath. Lambert. Yeah. She yes. attacks physically. Ripley, you know, even after the threat is over, she attacks her in like a revenge kind of way. Yes, we have that. We have Envy. You can put that on Lambert. You can also put that with, and I would say Lambert is envious of Ripley. I would also say that Ash absolutely is envious of the Xenomorph, the face hugger. It wants to be there. It wants to be yeah. that. Well, so it doesn't bad. fit in. Ash doesn't fit anywhere either. Too. So seeing, you know, this creature that's like the pinnacle of evolution to him is very interesting that he has that envy. And then uh, with Dallas, I think we see Sloth. Because he doesn't want to fight about anything. You know what I mean? Well, actually, I'd say with Dallas, the biggest thing that I see there is pride. I see pride Pride also. is the biggest with him. Because he has that thing with Ash where he's like, well, it's up to you what you want to do if you want to bring the alien back. And then Ripley's like, what are you doing? And, you know, he's like, that's what I told him and that's it. You know, I can't go back and say anything else. Like, he's this very proud guy. And then the name Dallas for me, always makes you think of a cowboy, right? And it's like you have, like, this idea of these cowboys and their 10-gallon hats and, you know, possibly, in this case, big egos. You well, know? with with Tom Skerritt, you know, I think that fits because he does have kind of a country-ish thing going on, too. But, like, I think his, his whole deal, the reason I say sloth, is not because he's lazy, but just because he's, he's, like, Mr. No-Action. Like, he constantly says that, well, that's the science officer's choice, you know. It's on him to do that. And Ripley's like, why are you doing this? Why are you, you know, why are you, like, ignoring procedure and all this kind of stuff? And he just kind of wants to wash his hands of it. And he kind of just acts like he wants everything to be done and the mission to be over so that he doesn't have to make any choices anymore. Yeah, because, I mean, when they're actually still doing work on the ship he's like we got to get out of here and ripley's like well they're still doing work and he's like oh it's a bunch of horse shit yeah. he's like let's just go though yeah. we do have to say that brett and parker are definitely juicing their hours that it will take you know of course they are i mean they are like the very obvious sloth too i mean it's like what we were saying about brett at the beginning is like he can't even fight for himself he no. just like makes parker do it for him and it's just like you're all upset but yeah, care. I mean, I think that for sure they're using, you know, the sins, I think, to show how corrupt all these people are, except for Ripley. Well, and of course, we got to remember the company itself. Oh, right? boy, yeah. And, and like the company itself, what is it? Greed. You know ultimate what I mean? corruption, yeah. ultimate greed, the, you know, natural extension of like space capitalism you know because yeah. 
all they're about is, you know, what what is useful. All the the only reason these workers exist is to be useful to them. And once the workers become less useful than the thing that they're trying to bring home, the workers are expendable. It's very creepy. It makes you think about ancient Egypt and how you would have the pharaoh and how you would have so many slaves working for the pharaoh. And also Ridley Scott wanted the aliens to have like this ancient feeling, this ancient technology vibe. And that's why we have those very cool credits at the beginning, the way they appear. You know, just the, it's like those slashes, and then you see another one, you're like, wait, what is it? And then it shows Alien. It was almost like hieroglyphics. Yeah. And then you have the score, of course, from Jerry Goldsmith, always a champion, and that really brings it home for you once again. And again, if you think about it, Alien, in that, that introductory sequence, you know, where we see the title come up, we see space, we hear the music, it very much does remind you of the thing where we see the planet, you know, we see like the what is spaceship or no, we see a spaceship coming to earth and it's very similar. You know what I mean? It, because we have that kind of haunting music once again. You know, all of these films are in, around this time are running around the same area and you can see why because it's so fertile, it's so interesting. You know, what are these things? What do they want from us? Well, I mean, it's it's really cool. And that leads nicely into our next week's episode, which is on Predator. Uh, another alien picking off people kind of a movie. So <laughs> it goes with Alien. It goes with The Thing. And in fact, the, the opening sequence of Predator and The Thing are pretty much the same. You have, like, the spaceship flying in toward Earth. In this case... It pops off a pod with Predator in it, whereas the thing crash lands into Antarctica. But either way, heads are going to roll. <laughs> Literally. And <laughs> spines are going to be pulled. Yes. <laughs> Lots of gruesomeness in Predator. But don't worry, Martin and Boaz from Film vs. Film will be here. This was actually their selection. Mm-hmm. So we'll have them explain how in the world a spine-ripping film like Predator could be a comfort movie. Well, I actually would have picked Predator as a comfort film because I've seen it so many times. It, it's something where, I don't know, it, it's like I'm numb to the violence, really. I don't know what it is, but I'm just like hanging out and I just see myself as a youth, always with the pizza, you know what I mean? And just really just being like, how about that? Well, we've had many conversations on the show and off talking about how in the world certain things can be comfort movies to us. So yeah. it's not completely off base for <laughs> somebody to pick something like that as a comfort movie. But, you know, I'm just glad that I don't have to explain it and I can just let Martin and Boaz do that. <laughs> they, well, with Alien, though, we never said why it's a comfort film. You know it's why true. Alien is a comfort film? Certainly not because of Ash pushing a magazine into Ripley's mouth. No, but you know what? It's very funny that his name is Ash because he is turned into Ash. Yeah. How about that? But no, Alien is just a fun movie because of the alien. And when you can like separate yourself from, you know, the fear and just start joking around and thinking about, you know, what the alien is doing and it's downtime, you know, it, it's fun. Well, and a lot of times comfort movies to us are just really well-made movies. Yes. And, and there's this... no question that Alien and Predator are both really well-made movies. Yeah, top so, tier. 
So gruesome spine ripping or not, we find that comforting sometimes. And it's good to know that other people do as well. Right. So if you haven't listened to Film versus Film before, you've got your chance to, to meet Martin and Boaz next week when we talk Predator with them. And we're really looking forward to that one. Uh, yeah. And then that will be our third week of our sci-fi series as we chug on to the end of January. <laughs> Keep on chugging, everybody. It's <laughs> our new tagline. <laughs> Keep on chugging. Keep on chugging, kids. Eh, maybe it doesn't work. So instead, I will say, stay comfy. Stay comfy, everybody. <laughs>